0: Welcome to the latest episode of the Proof of Delivery cast, talking about all things supply chain and technology to help visionaries like you gain unprecedented insight, foresight, and oversight into your operations and the industry as a whole. We're talking with the who's who of supply chain from around the world about the latest trends, technologies, and tips to help illuminate the hidden potential in every link of your supply chain. Now, here are your hosts, Mike Allen and Caitlin Mercier.
1: All right, welcome back, everyone, to uh, this edition of the uh, the Proof of Delivery Cast. We're trying something a little bit different today, where we're, uh, we're going to do uh, an internal podcast between our team, uh, really talking a little bit about uh, uh, digital twins and, and their, you know, role in, in general, but also especially in uh, supply chain. We've got uh, you know a lot of work on that regard. Now we've got a ton of customers. Uh, that are you know interested but also curious and going what what is this thing and what can it do for me so we thought we would demystify some of that and um, I, this is the first in a series and uh, you're going to see three more of these come out that are, cover a little of a uh, little bit more detail of the of the three main focus areas we're talking about so um, yeah I think to to kick things off we're going to start with a, a little bit of a general overview. For people who are are pretty familiar, there might be a bit of redundancy here, but it, it, I think for for a lot of the audience, uh, you know, the questions that we're getting from from our customers and partners is. You know, everything from really detailed specifics to what the heck is this thing and what can it do for me. So we thought we'd maybe start off a little bit uh, right at at, at ground level and just cover off the the basics. So uh, with us today, uh, we've got, uh, I think, all the hosts we've had all in one room for probably maybe the first time. I'm not sure. So we've got got Brent with us here and we've got uh, Caitlin Remote. And, uh, yeah, just interesting, uh, conversation hopefully we'll follow. So yeah, no, I, I guess just to kind of kick things off, maybe, um, you know, I, whoever wants to jump in, I guess, let's just start right at the top. Like what, what the heck is this thing? What is a, what is a digital twin? And I'm sure we'll all have our opinions, but, uh, yeah, jump, jump in and, uh, where do you want to start?
2: Well, I mean, I, I know I know. for me, when I think about digital twin, I mean, we, we have these perceptions of these big um, models and things that are happening. But really, you know, it really comes down to, you know, how we represent some of the things that happen in our physical world, in the digital world. And so there's lots of different ways that, that we're able to do that. And so for us, we've, we've tried a few different methods. And so we're now kind of working on this, this model of getting a, a warehouse where you can actually see not only uh, kind of real-time interactions with it, but then also display different planning results on top of it and different overlays. And so really to me, it's just about how we can contextualize some of these things that you see in the physical and do it in a digital way that you can see from, from far, far away.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, And Caitlin, jump in anytime. if It's a little, a little harder when you're remote, but um, you know, I I would sort of uh, echo that and, and really, you know, for, for, especially the uses for our customers in supply chain. I think the, the huge value here is that, you know, if you're, if you're next door to your warehouse, if you're in your warehouse, it's pretty easy to take a look, to monitor these things in, in real time in, in person. Uh, how do you do that, you know, at distance, at scale? Uh, with speed right how do you traverse the country or the world and and check up on all of the operations that are, are relevant to you uh, in a timely way without leaving your desk so i think you know that 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 analog of the f- the physical and digital matchup and then and then how do you do that um, you know w- w- with in the comfort of your office if if you have 1 10 50 100 different operations in you know 10 100 different countries uh, that that's really the value, I think, in a lot of cases is, is the more complex the operation, the more potential value there is in being able to, to see the context at a distance
3: exactly and i mean i think those are the you know the problems we hear every day is is you know talking to decision makers that are are making the call about what inventory to send and 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 where and um you know it, the, the challenge for them is just they've they've got that limited view from from where they're sitting at their at their desk on their machine and so um, just being able to bring bring some of that to life in in real time um, allows them to feel like they don't they don't need to fly uh, fly around to all their partners in their network um, just just to feel like they've got that uh, that that tangible view as to to what's happening on site
1: yeah absolutely and i think you know the the the, the interesting thing about technology like digital twins and and the stage that it's at right now is it it can be everything and nothing all at once, and 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 it's you know we're really in the eye of the beholder, and you'll see even with different uh, different providers in the industry, different technology companies, you know what one calls a digital twin another might call a dashboard. One is charts and graphs. It's thermometers for temperature, things like that, just analogs for for data. Um, others are full 3D visualizations and walkthroughs. Some are monitoring equipment, some are monitoring facilities. Some like us are, are doing a little bit of that, but also monitoring things like movement of stock and, and and goods and utilization of assets and things like that. So I think that's that's part of why there's uh, allure to it is it's it's this you know potentially nebulous thing that you you might see as magic from the outside but that's also why there's mystery to it is because it's it's described differently it hasn't really gelled yet into a single cohesive concept in a lot of ways so it can be uh, you know, perceived differently depending on who you're talking to and 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 who's doing the talking. But um, you know, you, you guys touched on a couple of interesting things. I think is the, you know, the 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 back end side is like what what is happening with that data. What what is what, is, it, is it artificial intelligence, and machine learning, and and data science and things like that happening in the background that. Take some of that data and, you know, Brent, you mentioned the context. I think that's probably one of the most important things is you can throw up any number on the screen you want. What does it mean? What, what am I seeing here on the screen? How do I contextualize that? Um, you know, Drilling down into the rationale for the number. It's sometimes it's, it's great to know it's positive, it's negative, it's going up, it's going down, but, but why? What, what's the meaning of that? And then that visualization side that you mentioned is, um, you know, I, I'm hearing a lot of cu- customers and partners saying, you know that the, there's a difference between a spreadsheet that tells me everything i need to know mm-hmm. and 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 a picture you know the old adage the picture's worth a thousand words it's like sometimes the the way it's visualized actually is the difference between a, a statistic or a number or a kpi that is viewed and one that's actually consumed and used for a, a useful purpose.
2: Yeah, I think it changes a little bit the level of interpretation and, and where that level of interpretation is happening on some of those pieces of information. And so if you think about something really basic, just, you know, capacity of a warehouse and, and you're, you know, you, you have a number and the number says it's 80, you're 85% filled right now. And, you know, you've got a customer coming in that, that is going to take up 10% of that what does that actually look like for you to take that, that new next 10% and operationalize it in your warehouse? Yeah. On paper, it looks like, yeah, I've got space for this, but the reality might be, you know, those might be all over, all over in different places. You're going to have to do a bunch of consolidation or movement or things to prepare. And so I think, you know, if you're able to start to show some of those things, because technically all the information is there in both, in both views, right? You've got all the information, you know, all the positions of things, you know, all these things, but, you, you know you don't quite know how they're all going to fit together and you don't quite know the impact of you know a change a, a variable that's coming in and I think by being able to show some of those things you're changing how that interpretation is happening and I think the other thing that, it helps to do is actually kind of give you that more holistic view sort of, and get you out of your silos of your departments um, amongst this to sort of look at the whole picture of how we're going to take this next project, this next 10% and and put it into the warehouse. And so it, you know, yeah, it's great to have this cool visualization, but I think on another level, it's actually also showing the teams how they are interconnected uh, when they're working on some of these types of problems. So I think that part of it's pretty interesting too.
3: I think it's really going to change the way that teams work together as well. Like I think right now you feel like you want to be on site all the time if you're if you're making decisions about what's happening in the warehouse. And so I think this is going to allow teams to operate a little bit more remotely if they, they need to. There, you know, there might not be this hard requirement for certain positions to need to be um, on on site at facilities. and so that may open things up just just from a, a people perspective in a lot of organizations
1: yeah it's interesting and you know the 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 work that you know we do with our clients at Routique is is you know there's some analogs here because you uh you know you can look at what's happening inside the walls at this sort of um you know middle layer uh at the facility level you can get really micro and look at a zone you can look at an aisle or a row you can look at a single skew then you can zoom back out you know similar to a map where what's happening between those facilities in this one state or province, what's happening between those provinces, what's happening between, uh, you know, countries, and, and kind of zoom in up and down and, and look at that flow, um, you know, at that, at that network level. So you, you in theory, when, once everything is all synchronized, you should be able to get as micro or macro as you need to get depending on the, you know, the data that you're looking for and, and, and the, 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 the issue you're examining or the problem you're, you're trying to resolve.
3: Yeah that's a I mean that, that that's a really good point I think so often companies are just they're they're focused on you know what are what are the the where uh, do I need to be working with partners and you know what are their what are their rates per pallet or per case that's moving from their facility but having that network level view and being able to look at you know assuming these are my my nodes in my network um you know what what is the most cost efficient way to to get products from where they're made to uh, to where they're purchased and so it just it, it also starts to just really shape the decision-making uh process for what partners that you want to be working with in your in your network
1: yeah absolutely and and it, we want to get into obviously some use cases and we've got a, a bit of a framework to 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 go through some of those but I think first of all i was just going to also mention that the 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 concept of the digital twin is is interesting in the way that that information can be packaged and delivered and the channels it can be delivered through. So, you know, the, the assumption is I'm looking at a screen uh, somewhere and, you know, I might be in my head office looking at all my, my facilities and my network, but there's a ton of other ways to interact with this technology. So, you know, augmented reality uh, glasses in line and, and, and voice uh, interfaces, like voice picking and things like that are all sort of analogous to this concept of, uh, uh, you know, can I can I stand in a warehouse and add layers of data with AR glasses where I'm seeing lots and expiry dates and quantities on hand and in quantities inbound and my imbalance and those kind of things? Um, it's it it you know, the, the obvious analogy is sitting in an office somewhere looking remotely. But there's also a ton of different other ways to interact with this technology, uh, you know, some of which are really mainstream now and some of which are are being enabled by the tech and and, and coming soon. But I I, I visualize, um, you know, a, a future where it's not uh, an executive in a head office is the only person that's looking at this stuff. It, it's providing contact, additional context to even the people that are in that physical environment right now with, you know, the Iron Man mask on, <laughs> seeing all this additional context that's you know, hopefully, uh, you know, making, giving them those superpowers of, of, uh, you know, the ability to see things that you can't normally see just by walking around.
2: Yeah. And I think those things that you're describing too, they're twofold, right? They're doing, they're doing double duty. One, they're there to help make it easy to capture those data points that are, that are critical to actually be able to do this contextualization and visualization. And then on the flip side, they're there to actually do the visualization of things. So it's, you know, those AR glasses are great. Well, or voice picking, you know, you're you're in moment you're capturing that piece of data in, you know, hopefully the easiest way possible. So, you know, data, data kind of rules, uh, the digital twin world. And so, you, you know, you, you've got to get good data into the system. You've got to find ways to make that easy to make sure that, that the people that are working on these, these projects are compliant. They're putting the good data in, um, because without the good data, you know, uh, it, it it's only as good as it's only as good as the data. So, um, you know, I think that that's, that's one really key piece in, in all of this is it's not only, yes, you've got this cool amazing tool that can visualize all this stuff but you've got to find a way to create the engine and the machine that's going to pull all the data and that's going to run all these things so uh, I think that that's another element of this that really needs to to be thought of and 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 you know when we think about how our our customers are working inside of a network you know that that is the data they want to see they want to see I want to know exactly where this package is I want to know how this thing is moving I want to know where this thing was at any given point in time and then it's kind of like it's kind of like an audit, right? You don't really need it until something goes wrong um, <laughs> in, in a lot of cases. But, but you know, for, for others, they just want to see the the pulse and the flow uh, of their network and, and how it's operating. And I think that these tools are there to, to really help guide those, those, mm-hmm. those the, in, in a lot of ways, feelings, right? Because the hard data is there, but now it's kind of a feeling like, is this working okay? Can I kind of let go of this thing? Or is this like truly a problem right now?
1: Yeah, so maybe to 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 kick off, getting a little bit more specific, um, you know, and 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 just to just to preface this, the three areas we're about to talk about here in high level, we're going to be doing a, a unique. Uh, podcast about each one each quarter as I mentioned at the beginning so you know we're going to cover a, lo- a little bit of, of high level detail here um, you know but rest assured we're we're, we're going to cover each of these areas in more detail in each of their own dedicated podcasts and, and that's actually a great opportunity if anybody has specific questions they want us to cover in future ones uh, feel free to let us know when when you watch this but we thought Maybe one of the easiest ways for us to 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 cover the the types of, of of uses and utility of of a digital twin is to use the framework that we typically use for for everything we describe. Um, you know, anyone who's watched our previous podcast has probably heard this, but we talk a lot about uh, insight, foresight, and oversight. So insight being. A clear picture of what's happening today, foresight being what's going to happen tomorrow, you know, mitigating a risk or or capturing an opportunity in advance, seeing things coming ahead of time. And then oversight is really that compliance at scale at a distance is how do I take something that's happening way over here, different country, different part of the country, and how do I um, ensure that it's being done Correctly to the standards that that I, I you know I, I need to impose on the system. So, in the context of those three things, um, you know, I thought it might make sense to chat a little bit about each one at a high level and and, and the types of utility that you know we're seeing and our clients are seeing from uh, the implementation of the of the twin concept. So maybe whoever wants to kind of kick us off on the on the insight on the you know the monitoring, the what's happening today. Any thoughts to start with or?
3: Yeah, certainly. So I mean, I think uh, tying this back to to you know really the the problems that we're looking to solve at the insight level, you know, it, it is about uh you know knowing exactly what's happening at any given moment uh, across your 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 network and so um, you know we, we we hear from a lot of clients who, you know, they want to know exactly what they have on uh, on hand for for inventory, they want to know that all of their customers have been delivered exactly what they ordered within a within a certain compliance level and so that's really a big one one is and the foundation uh for for the digital twin is just you know do we have uh the right right data collected from the right parties within the network that that connectivity and then are we providing visibility to um to the people that uh, that really need that so um it's actually you know really really surprising how many networks don't um you know are, aren't able to deliver at that foundational insight level right now
1: yeah i think i think that's really common with anything you know tech where tech and process and people align is that you know companies will go well we need to implement this technology to achieve this this uh, desired outcome and it's actually you know you have to work towards achieving the desired outcome in order for the technology to contribute to that and and so you know you're not fixing any of those problems with say a digital twin or any other tech alone you're you're fixing it by determining what the outcome needs to be and then working backwards and putting in all the the processes and brett mentioned you know the 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 health and cleanliness and completeness of the data is is critical but i i i agree i think you know, 90% higher than that of, of the customers and companies we work with would say, we're not even close to where we want to be on that insight side. Like all the prediction, all the other stuff is great. First of all, why are my inventory numbers not lining up across the network? And and those can be discrepancies of, you know, a half a percent, a quarter of a percent, even less, but you roll those up across tons of different locations in your network. And all of a sudden, it's a it's a bunch of little problems becoming big problems. Then you've got things like lag. So, you know, I was reported this on this day with this methodology. This other one came in on a different day, but using a different methodology, a different manual count cycle, a different process of reconciling between two systems. And so you've now got data being reported Not on the day that it was necessarily collected and not with the same methodology of collection. So now how do you trust those? Even if that number seems right in the moment, how do you trust that it jives with all the other numbers you're collecting throughout your network? So, uh, you know,
2: I think that's a a way bigger problem than people realize. Yeah, and I think it gets more complicated too, uh, you know. the the, the, all of these supply chain businesses run on movement I mean it's it's all about moving goods through the system and so the more the more things you're moving the more touch points you have the more orchestration that's required you know these things get more and more complicated and I think that's where that that next layer comes in where you know uh, you know when we're looking at that predictive nature of things and, and what we can analyze and and provide back that can give you some of that that foresight and and into the into the future and you know, when, when we're thinking about those, those elements, it's really about, you know, how do we make, keep this machine and this, this, the system of things running smoothly. So, you know, that we, I saw an example the other day at, at a warehouse where, you know, their put away, um, happened before they had done any of their their movement consolidation side of things. And so, you know, they had basically left themselves in a, in a, in a tricky spot. Um, and, and so, you know, you, if we can find ways where we can give them those, the, that information ahead of time where, okay, yeah, yeah, you move these three things, you're going to be ready for your next put away event. These things, it, it, again, it's all about movement and it's movement in different ways. And so I think the more we can do, I mean, you know, we're, we're looking at a lot of uh, MLAI algorithms to be in support of, of per, per doing some of those predictions. But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, you still have to th- think about how those predictions are fitting into the overall the overall model. What are you trying to do with this group? Are you trying to make sure they don't send you more stuff? Are you trying to make sure they send you enough stuff? Um, h- how is all of this going to kind of kind of shake out? And, and really all of that is to kind of, again, make it feel like a, a well-oiled machine that's just sort of running flawlessly that you don't really have to to think about it too, too much, or the things that you're thinking about need to be, Differently, like you're looking at a different element of of, of a problem, because you're just going to create new problems that you're going to have to look at as you get into some of these these more yeah. predictive nature side of things.
1: And that, you know, we, we were talking about sort of the the clear picture of today. I think you know that the the analog that lots of people's heads go to with artificial intelligence is 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 people intelligence. It's it's brains, and and you know, you look at. It, it, you mentioned the AI and machine learning side, you know, the, the sort of brains behind the scene that are helping to make some of these decisions at scale. Um, the other part, you know, especially with the insight side is the senses, right? Where are we getting this information from? Can we trust our eyes and ears and, and our other senses? Um, and, and you know, there's different Reasons I mentioned lag already, you know, human error, those kind of things, Um, number of touch points, number of people that have to contribute to this piece of data and and the method, again, which it's gathered. So things like uh, sensors and IoT and, you know, automation of data gathering between systems can become really important because you know, again, if my eyes are over here in another country or another state or another province, uh, I need to be able to trust them. And, you know, rather than play the telephone game and have this person tell this person, tell this person, tell this person, whether it's paper or manually recording data, sometimes it's nice to to have those, you know, those senses in line. And, and so there, the insight side, I think, is it's really critical to be gathering the right data with the right methods, and hopefully having some kind of Foil to bounce that off of, right? Not necessarily one method of de- of deriving a, uh, you know, a, is this positive? Is this negative? Is is, is it accurate? Um, it, it's great if there's if there's checks and balances, and so you might have a machine or a sensor plus a person using a tablet or a or a, a handheld device, you know, plus other things like computer vision and everything. Not to get too into the weeds today, but um, the more ways you can gather information. Without having a potential for human error or a, or a bit of a telephone game, I think the the more sensory data can be trusted, then the more the the, the brain can be trusted to 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 use that data in the right way. So, um, you know, Brent, you kind of started to segue there into the into the forecasting side. I think that makes sense to to you know to to jump to to foresight and and you know that that how do we see into the future uh, side of things. Uh, you know, who, who wants to sort of jump in to start?
2: Well, yeah, I just sort of building on on what I was saying before. I mean I think you know the foresight piece is really interesting because there's still a large human element to it. there's there's a lot of rules uh, that have to be accounted for when we start to think through using a machine for these problems. And so you know there is still going to be this real blend of 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 machine generated information and still some level of human evaluation uh, on on these items. Yeah. And so I think it's going to be interesting to see how how you know, I think there's a perception from people that that the machine is going to be able to just magically do everything. And, you know, knowing, you know, when you're working in the backside of, of these things, I mean, there's there's a lot of rules to think through. There's a lot of things to actually, like, consider. And, and you have to actually understand all those things. And those have to be somewhat... Uh, Somewhat uniform for for the machine to actually be able to produce a, a good result, and so, you know, I think what we're what we're seeing, anyways, at least in in some of our, our early work, is you know we, we can produce a really good result, um, but we still really want to make sure that there's still that that human evaluation of, of a, a prediction or a forecast or something that we're going to be presenting, but it's still giving them some some valuable foresight into into their their challenges and their problems that they can. Evaluate in a different way and see, like, okay, like I, I can see that this is sort of forecasting out this way, and you know, for a lot of, you know, for some people, that forecast in the in the past has looked like you know, I'm just going to add 10% to everything. I'm going to take a wild guess. I'm going to see maybe what the big, what one customer did and I'm going to apply that to all of them. And so you, you can see some immediate wins, um, even with the, the sort of more generalized models that can come out, mm-hmm. um, but still providing some really good value, but but still not perfect, right? There's just there's just so many factors and so many things to consider. And so I think that that's, that's an interesting piece when we go and start to talk to warehouse team members and when we start to say, hey, you know, we're going to have a system that can do these things. How do we sort of temper you know that that enthusiasm which which we want them to have with the sort of reality of okay but this is still just another tool in your toolkit and how are you going to use this Mm -hmm. yeah I mean I I, I, oh sorry go ahead well
3: I was going to mention so better forecasting really I mean it's going to have a major impact on the the quality of life for the team at the warehouse as well and so you see you know every, every day they're sort of putting out fires with you know, product that was maybe ordered a little bit too late, and there's not enough notice, uh, you know, uh, for that product coming in, and and trying to find the right home, or they're, you know, trying to pick and pack orders, and the right items aren't there yet, and so you start to see just, um, yes, there's there's an element that makes the forecasting um, process even easier for purchasing, so there's some time saving, some efficiency there, but you know, but also just the impact to the team on the floor, it's uh, it, it's pretty exciting.
1: Yeah, I I sort of look at a lot of the the AI ML side, like adding a new team member. You know, they 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 need training. They need to know how you want things done. They need to know the result that you you're mm-hmm. trying to achieve with them. But you also have to have a level of trust with them. And you know, the artificial intelligence is no different than real intelligence. You're you're not going to hire Ted or Lisa and then turn the keys to the company over them tomorrow. Uh, they're going to have to build that level of trust with you. And, and by, you know, constantly evaluating and and tuning the models that you're building and and making sure that the results are, are in line with what you're looking for and that the assumptions that the AI is making are the assumptions that are at least as good or, or hopefully better than the ones that um, mm-hmm. a human would be making. And then, you know, just like Ted or Lisa, just like your new employee, they have a, a specialty. They have an area of expertise that they're hopefully very good at they also have areas that they're probably not so great at are you going to have your accountant you know doing sales or marketing yeah, there's there's specializations and so part of the trick is 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 building that level of trust over time and ensuring that you're tuning the model the other part is not trusting the model to do the thing that the human is better at and maybe sometimes vice versa it's it's what's the right you know, if you think of it, if you want to personify it, if you want to sort of, uh, you know, anthropomorphize it and, and make it a, a human or you just want to call it a tool, regardless, there's the right tool for the job. There's the right person for the job. Um, I, I think AIML is no different. It's, it's, you know, again, it's not the holy grail, but um, if you're using it for the application that it was intended for and it's fulfilling that purpose and you're monitoring it. Uh, it can provide great utility as long as you're not over ascribing a level of intelligence that it it doesn't
2: necessarily uh, demonstrate yeah takes. I think that's a good analogy too because because you know it is it is another you call it a person tool I mean you're just swapping resources right from mm. from human hours to compute cycles I mean it's still doing the same types of things to get to a same result. And so you still, there's still a cost to, to, to doing these things and running these things that, you know, I think needs to be considered. And cause again, that sort of like magic button poof, I get a, I get an answer, but there's still a lot of things that happen behind the scene. And, 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 you know, those costs vary depending on, you know, what, what, what it's looking at, but I mean, it's still a cost and, and, and it's just, we've changed where that cost is coming from, from, from a person who's sitting at a desk doing that to, Mm -hmm. to a computer that's, running in a, in a room somewhere for, forever and ever to figure all these things out. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Um, I mean, one thing, too, is that, you know, the, everyone's talking. It's very hot right now that, you know, the the sort of benevolency of, of AI, uh, AI for good. You know, the, a lot of the groups like OpenAI are really trying to ensure that, you know, it, it, it can't be – either intentionally or unintentionally used for evil purposes and, and, and that it is hopefully, uh, you know, erring towards the quote unquote good side, whatever that means to you. But, uh, you know, I think f- it's the similar for the applications that we're seeing with our customers is, is it providing utility to the humans that it effectively works for, right? It's if, if you look mm-hmm. at it as another team member that, you know, never sleeps, never eats, never rests. Um, is it providing utility to the people that it works with? or Is it doing an end run around them? Is it eliminating them from the decision-making process they should be involved in? Or is it making bad decisions and making things worse? Or hopefully the ideal, is it is it making lives better? So that's another great way to look at, you know, where AI and ML, it's not just where they're appropriate in terms of what they can do. It's, you know, are we using a machine to do something that a human is either not good at, doesn't want to do, is a waste of their time and their skill set. And are we using the humans for the right things as well? Are we mm-hmm. taking the laborious things that humans don't like to do and, and, and making that easier for them? Or are we, you know, putting technology in a place of a human in a place where it doesn't make any sense and it's making things worse? Yeah, lots to unpack. Well, there.
3: that's what makes the oversight, uh the, the oversight portion of this so interesting because we'd like, you know, what, what where is that line where you empower it to 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 make some, you know, not only make some recommendations, but also make some decisions in the moment. And how much of that do you leave to uh to to the human at the end of the day?
1: Yeah, I mean that's a great segue, right? If we sort of jump from the from you know the foresight to the oversight side, it's it's that's another common. You know, not necessarily even misconception. It's a common potential concern with with AI and ML and and, and and things like digital twins is like, are they are we working for them? Are they working for us? Are, are is it Big Brother or are they monitoring us? And and absolutely, you could foresee and you could you could build out applications where you are doing that. Uh, I think the trick is to again make sure that the humans in the loop are understanding the value this provides. Um, you know, just one quick example is, is, you know, we, we also do a lot of work outside the warehouse in, in, in the field with, with, with final mile and delivery. <clears throat> a lot of that same technology applies monitoring where the vehicle is, what's on the, what's on the truck, you know, ha- what's been, uh, signed for what hasn't, what was damaged in transit, those kind of things. Uh, it's absolutely legitimate concern for a driver to go, are they watching what I'm doing? Uh, and and to a certain extent, you know, you are the same as a supervisor would the same as a, a ride along, you know, trainer mentor would. Um, but there's tons of use cases in our network where that technology has actually saved the driver as well, where a customer will say X happened and the reality of the data shows that it did not. And so you eliminate again that telephone game. It does work both ways. It if you have an issue with a personal, uh, a, a single person in in your network, it may uncover that. It may uncover problems, and 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 at least you have a chance to address those. But it also, uh, you know, can be the 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 saving grace for for the people in the loop because it is leveling the playing field. It's making sure that, you know, just like a detective goes to a crime scene, they don't go. I like that person better. <laughs> I have a better relationship with them. I know them better. I'm going to choose their side of the story. It's like, we're not going to do any of that. We're going to follow the evidence. We're only going to use evidence and not, um, you know, sort of personal, uh, uh, you know, feelings to to determine the outcome of a, of a case. In that regard, a missing inventory, a problem, a discrepancy is, is effectively detective work. Uh, we're allowing the evidence to speak Louder than, you know, the relationships and the politics and that kind of
2: thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, it, to me, it's toler- like tolerance, like how much tolerance do you give to, to looking at a data point and, and how do you interpret some of those things? Because there's there's other factors that are always at play, especially when you're out on the roads. And if, if you're talking about traffic or, or something else, there's lots of reasons why somebody could be off off the mark. But, you know, I think that that's, again, where that sort of human evaluation can come in to sort of look at it and, and even the conversation that you're having with somebody. But, yeah, I think there is definitely a, you know. When, when, when you're giving this level of transparency, uh, in, you, you, know, you, you, one, your service level better be off the charts, um, because you're, that's, you're letting everyone look under the hood and, and, and two, you know, how much of that do you actually, you know, allow for here? So I think, I think it's that oversight is going to be a, an interesting topic to, to dig a little bit more on. For sure. And, um, you know, in, in, in terms
1: of oversight, again, I think that, uh, um, you know, it, it, it goes back to the idea of uh let the the evidence speak for itself and that's where you take a statistic a kpi a measurement and you give it context right it's if my perfect order rate is you know 99.9 as as a as a as a goal and i'm at 97 that's important to know it's important to know the spread it's important to know the gap and and what what i have you know, to where the, what I have to do to get where I want to be. But that actually isn't as useful as the data one layer down, which is why, why, why am I down 2%? Why am I not achieving the mm-hmm. result? And so that's again where oversight can be a really positive thing. It, it's not punitive necessarily. It's not to punish a, a bad result. It's to provide that evidence is to dig into it and go part of that 2% discrepancy between what I want and what I'm seeing is, a particular partner is having issues. Is it a retraining thing? Do we need to sit down with them? Part of it is something we're doing internally. Part of it is COVID struck, (laughs) you know, the, the, Mm the uh, things like that, that it's still important to know from a component analysis side, like why, what contextually the number is great, but the reason Mm -hmm. is, is that if you can uncover the reason and you can make sure everybody is aware of you know that the blocker for achieving this goal is is this now you can let everybody you know the humans in the loop focus and go okay we're 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 not in trouble we're just all working together to achieve mm-hmm. you know this this goal and i i think that's the right way to look at it and when companies especially like the ones we work with when they look at it that way even as long as that message is getting down to the staff, say on the floor of the warehouse or, 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 or the drivers, the people who are really the product that you're selling uh, you know, the result you're selling is, is the result of those people. You're arming them with the right info uh, and you're going, this is how we're going to fix this issue. Yeah.
3: Yeah. I think that's so important because you know, it's once you've got insight down and you can see everything really, you can see everything. um, It's so key to just have, well what's what no not what's going right but what's going wrong and why and how do i get to that as quickly as possible and you know what is that recommended solution and that's what's really powerful for for teams whether you're you know a client looking at your network or you're a team member in the in a facility
1: so you know, I think that's that's a pretty good overview of the the three sort of main focus areas of, of of what you know digital twins and that whole overall concept, including all of the you know the the AIML brain power and the and the sensors and those kind of things can do for you, as well as what the visualization layers can do to to provide context. So, um, you know, I, I, again, we're going to be covering each of those three areas in our our future uh, series at each quarter. So uh, if anybody has any additional questions, or we didn't you know sort of cover something at a high level or you want to see more, feel free to reach out and let us know. And we'll try to make sure we cover that in the in the future episodes. But I guess just to, to start to move to wrap things up, um, you know, I think, as we said at the beginning, it's really about, you know, giving networks and the people in those networks and the companies the power to be able to, you know, go back to the insight, foresight, oversight, the power to see what's happening today clearly, to all agree to come to a consensus, then to use that source of of true of true data today to make those predictions for the future to mitigate those risks to simulate possible scenarios that may or may not occur and what those effects might be and then that oversight side how do we get a a ragtag band of network partners who are all different businesses all different methods and processes to 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 work together in harmony as a single unit when they need to but also respect the fact that they need to do uh, different things with being part of different networks so um I guess just to, to kind of head into our wrap up, what uh you know what what can companies be looking at right now if they're interested in this? What 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 kind of prep work do they have to do? What kind of soul searching do they have to do, you know, in order to start moving down the path? Uh, You know, of course, they can, you know, they can call someone like us, they can call other companies that do similar things that we do. And we're happy to walk through those scenarios. But if they're just exploring this at an early stage, I guess, what what types of things would we recommend that, you know, they look at?
3: I mean, I think one of the first steps is exploring. You know, what what are what's motivating this? So why do we want to make this change? Um, you know, what what problems do we have to solve in our business? Is it about service delivery to our customers? Is it about uh, you know process efficiency, financial health of our business? I mean, chances are it's about all of those things. But uh, just making sure that you have that really well well defined, because I think it's really easy. When you're getting started on this journey to go in many, many different directions. So that helps, helps narrow the scope when you're defining next steps.
2: Yeah. And I think it's, it's, what do you want to know? What, what, what can you, what do you know right now with the data you have? And, um, maybe what do you think? you can't really figure out with, with the data that you've got that you're kind of interested into. And, you know, I think that's always a good place for us to, to, to start when we're working with a customer too is for to them to kind of, as Caitlin mentioned, come to us with what some of those challenges and some of those problems are. But then also look at like what can we already figure out from the information you have that's going to get you on a path right away, and then where do you want to be where these these tools and things can take you that much further uh, on your journey? Because I mean these these are big changes that are being made. So you know anytime we can find quick wins, just by some some quick analysis, I mean I think those are great places to start because it it helps you know immediately helps the client kind of get on get on a path but then also you know i think it's important to to help shape with them the importance of the data and and these elements that we're going to be using for these bigger questions and these bigger problems and and that you've got to kind of put the the thought and the time into into that whole data side and what are you going to do with it and why why do you want to do what you want to do with it. And so I, I don't know, I, I come back to the data. That's because uh, that, that's the, the lifeblood of everything that sort of pumps into, into the, the models. So, you know, the data has got to be there. The data has got to be good because without, yeah. without data, there's no, there's no digital twin. There's just a a picture of things that are not true and maybe yeah. incorrect and wrong. So
1: it's basically a, <laughs> a, a, a fantasy novel at that point. It doesn't represent reality, but I think that's a great way to look at it is that sort of, You know the the end and the beginning, where you are and where you want to be. It's you know I love analogies, and it's like the the way I've seen bridges built. You know when you watch a a TV show on engineering, and you know you start from one side, you start from the other side, and they meet in the middle with a millimeter tolerance. How did they do that, right? Because they knew where they were going to end up, they knew where they were, and they worked towards making sure those two things aligned. And and I think that's what a lot of uh, you know people that I talk to don't necessarily realize is you don't just Ideate on it, plan it, and start building it. You you ideate on it. You you get your sort of ultimate vision where it could go. You back up to the where you can, what you can actually do today. And a lot of times, it isn't necessarily building a smarter ML model or, or adding cooler visualizations. It's going we're not actually gathering this piece of data. Um, how are we going to do that? And so it's a nice cyclical effect where you start with what you have, you do what you can, you work towards a goal, but actually part of that goal involves either changing a process, documenting something that wasn't documented. Um, I think it's a great, you know, when, when, when lots of times we'll talk to clients and they'll go, but i don't really want to do that work right that's too granular i'd rather just track this on mass i'd rather you know uh, i've seen clients do a receiving event where they go yes i got it and there's no sort of case count on the inbound side or something like that so you know is it if given the utility of where you could end up what what you could have at the end is it worth that extra effort mm-hmm. to gather the data that you know, maybe you didn't think had a purpose in your old, you know, analog uh, manual way of doing things. But when you see what could be done with it, that's I, what I usually find when when, you know, client's eyes light up is when they're like, oh, but if I so if I did that, if I put in the extra effort on the data side here, I would actually that now be able to do this. And, uh, and we see a ton of examples of that one in one in our network right now is when was an invoice paid? So, you know, with settling an invoice and going right product, right time, right temp, right lock codes, uh, uh, you know, like, right expiry dates, no damage in transit, all those things. It, that's all really accretive to the life cycle of that product, making it to its end point. But when did the invoice get paid? Having that data now gives you power to model all kinds of other financial health of the network things that you couldn't do before. So it, it's a it's a, a circle of value where you're not going to get you're not going to get cooperation from your internal stakeholders to gather extra data to spend the time and the money to do it unless you can show the value of it on the on the back end. So I I really think that's a great exercise for companies to go through is to go I want to build a bridge whether the people on the other end of that bridge are a partner like ourselves or someone else or a third party or a consultancy or a technology company or you're doing it all alone you're still at the other end of the bridge. You're still responsible for for sort of making it halfway. And again, whether you bring in a company to help you with that or you're going it alone, there's still going to be that we have to make our side of the bridge meet that other side. We have to make our ability to input information into the system equal the, 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 the value, the outputs that we're trying to get at the other end. Um, yeah, I, I think that's that's really
3: important too, is there's, there's value at every step in the journey. And so just looking for that earliest value, you know, we're going to, it's a long journey to go from insight, um, all the way to oversight. And so within each of those phases, you know, future episodes, you know, talking about what are some of those kind of micro steps where we can start to see some value because there is effort required and wanting to make sure that, um, that there is that ROI at each, each step in the process.
1: Yeah, that's a really good point. You it, it's the bridge analogy is great except for you're going to have people trying to drive across your bridge as you're building it. That that is <laughs> inevitable. Is you know, there everyone's going to want to use it. So do you build a a single lane bridge all the way across and then twin it and double it and double it again or do you try to build the whole thing at once? And sometimes it is better to get that that early win with what you've got now and 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 expand on it because you're going to have stakeholders who have level of patience for this thing and are going to want to see some early wins so it it does it does make sense to to carve out pieces and to start that way but uh yeah i I think you know that's probably a pretty good overview and again we're going to be going into each of those areas but uh, anybody have any sort of final thoughts before we wrap or i think looking forward to chatting about
2: Insights next. Yeah,
1: you bet. Um, you know, you'll see some visuals in this in this podcast uh, come up and, and we'll be showing even more. So we'll try to get really into the meat of it in the future ones. Obviously, this is a bit of an overview, but uh, in, in each of those sections, we're gonna try to really delve into, okay, what might this look like? What might I see on the screen? What might be going into that? How might that be visualized? You know, What insight will that provide? We'll also look at some examples from our network of success stories. So we'll be able to actually put some meat on the bones. Uh, Brent had mentioned to me the other day that, uh, uh, you know, the, a, a 230% improvement in, in, in optimization over a baseline. That's probably an extreme example, but, you know, can we show some of those things that will really demonstrate the value in a quantifiable way mm-hmm. instead of a theoretical one? So uh, yeah, excited to to get into uh, into the next one.
3: Yeah, Me hey. too. Excited to kick this off today and looking forward to it.
1: You bet. Yeah. Thanks, everyone, for joining us, and hopefully, uh, you you find some value here. And like I said, please feel free to reach out and uh, and let us know. I mean, the 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 next three will be a function of of what we're hearing from our customer network, but also anything that we hear from anyone online. So uh, if you uh, throw us a question, we'll try to cover it off. But uh, thanks for joining us. Yeah, really appreciate it.
0: Thanks for joining us today. Make sure to check out future episodes of the Proof of Delivery cast, which come out every month. In the meantime, keep an eye on our YouTube channel for additional content throughout the month. If you'd like to learn more from Routique, you can find us on every major social media platform by searching Rootique, or the handle at Rootique, or feel free to chat with us directly by visiting www.routique.com Rootique gives supply chain visionaries the X-ray vision they need to make their companies more efficient, responsive, and profitable.